Well, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to apologize on the onset. I have an uh, intense headache this morning, and the wires from here to here are not quite working. They're short-circuiting in there somewhere. <laughs> and so uh, so if I, I get sidetracked, bear with me. I'll come back somewhere when the wires get crossed again. So, uh, But Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, we're bringing this uh, book to a close. I had promised that we were going to close it out this morning. Uh, that was before I had done my intense study. And as I got into my intense study, I said, you know what? There's something that I can't pass, and I want to spend some time on it. And I had intended to hit just some, some main points in this chapter and a half that were left. Instead, we're going to hit one point really heavily this morning, and then we're going to hit a little bit more on... Uh, some greetings, and then we're going to set it up to finish next week, Lord willing. And so that is that is the intention, that is the plan. One of the issues that I wanted to address today is this. What is the will of God? What is, what is the will of God for you? What does God want you to do? What, what is it that God has molded, crafted, and shaped you to do? What is His will in your life? You see... It doesn't matter what stage of life you are in. That question should be one that is always on your mind and is always on your mind. What is it that God wants me to do? And how does He expect me to accomplish it? It doesn't matter if you're a college student just getting out into life or whether you're retirement age. You're still wondering, what is it that God wants me to do? And how does He want me to go about doing it? We understand what life outside the will of God looks like. And we know when we are outside the will of God. But how do we understand the will of God living? How do we understand how to live in the will of God? We understand what it looks like on the outside, but what about on the inside? How do we know what that is? These are some of the questions that we're going to be considering this morning as we continue our study of Paul's farewell. And the reason that I wanted us to consider this is partly because of this central idea. The course of the individual believer should be dictated by the will of God. Now, I think that we would say a hearty amen to that central idea. We ought to. However, what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, we're going to follow Paul's example. And we're going to see what it looks like. I'm going to warn you. Uh, there is no microwave solution to this issue. You can't just pop it in, hit two minutes, and expect a meal to come out on the backside. There is work that is involved. And Paul's testimony reveals the work involved. And in fact, Paul lives out the changes in his life as he is pursuing one direction, and God says, no, this way. So how do we follow the ebbs and flows? Again, no microwave solutions. You can't throw it in, get a meal in two minutes. You're going to have to do some work. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some work. And that is why the course of the individual believer should be directed, should be dictated by the will of God. As we begin to get into Romans chapter 15, let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. Father, we thank You and praise You for the privilege that it is to have moved through such an incredible book as the book of Romans. But in doing so, we still have these nagging questions of practical Christian living. One of those is we want to do Your will, but we don't know what it is. We don't know how to do it. We know that you want us to be obedient to you, but what does that look like in the day-to-day situations? 
And so I pray that as we move through this passage this morning that we would understand we wouldn't be looking for these microwave solutions, but rather we would uh, recognize uh, the work that it's going to take, that we would dedicate our lives to doing that work, that we would understand the, the will of God for our life, that we would faithfully obey it, and that when it takes an unexpected turn, we would faithfully follow it, and that we would understand where you would want us to go, how you would want us to do it, and what we must do to accomplish it. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for all of these things. We pray your blessing on our time and your word. Give me the words to speak that they would be from you. They would challenge our hearts and our lives together. Lord, we love you and thank you for all of these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As we continue in Paul's farewell, we are challenged by Paul's example of humility and determination. Those are the two aspects of Paul's life that stood out to me this week. You want to understand what the will of God is, you must first be humble. And then you must be determined. And Paul illustrates both of these aspects very clearly. And I wanted us to understand them very clearly. God's will has a full impact on Paul's life. He's willing to go where the will of the Lord leads, yet he's willing to submit his own, or to submit his own will to the will of God. In other words, he's willing to take what his desires are and uh, put them as subservient to God's will. That is humility. And yet when Paul understands what God's will is, You can't stop him. He's full force. He's all the way in. And he's going hard until he's finished the task. And we're going to see him finish two tasks by the time we end the book of Romans. Paul is going to go all in. But God's going to change his direction. He's going to change his course. And Paul says, okay, you're the only one that can change my course. And he's obedient to it. So Paul is humble. But he's determined. So this morning... We're going to understand part of this as we slow down a bit from my statement last week. I'd intended to do a full chapter 16 and the last part of chapter 15, but we're going to finish up 15 and go about halfway through 16. Uh, I will tell you this. I'm not going to go through every name in chapter 16. Uh, We are going to hit the highlight ones, the ones Paul says are important. Uh, We're going to hit those. All of them are important to Paul. If you want to read those, great. Go ahead and read those. Uh, You might want to get a Bible that's reading them to you. And just, just to start out with, some of them are difficult to pronounce, but most of them are ones we would readily be able to say, but we don't know anything about them. And so since we don't know anything about them, we want to recognize that Paul greets them. Uh, they're important, and we will do so when we get to that point. But the outline for us this morning is this. First, Paul begins by understanding God's will. Well, that's a key aspect to the Christian life. What does it mean to understand God's will? Understanding God's will Uh, Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. And then Paul has a specific prayer request. And that is that you would pray, that the recipients would pray the will of God for Paul's life. How many of you have built a team around you of believers who pray the will of God in your life? That's what Paul is doing. He's saying, it's hard, I understand it's hard. Uh, pray that I would understand the will of God. Pray that I would stay in the will of God. Here is an apostle of Jesus Christ at the end of his life, nearing the end of his life, within the last few years. And he served the Lord for 30 years. And he's praying, or he's requesting that people would pray the will of God for him. What an amazing thing. And then we finally have Paul's greetings. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, which we already spoke about, we're going to deal with three specific groups of people, uh, four people in total, three specific uh, groups of them, and 
We're going to highlight them because Paul highlights them. He, he makes mention of them more than just greet so-and-so. So we're going to make mention of those as we move through Paul's greetings. Uh, it's one of the challenges of ending one of Paul's books when he says goodbye to everybody. You're like, I don't know this person. Uh, history doesn't know this person. Uh, so we're going, to, we're going to recognize them as Paul does, and we're going to greet them, um, and then that'll be about it. So let's move into Romans chapter 15, begin in verse 22. Read through verse 28 with me as we begin this morning. Verse 22 says, For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on the way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in the material things. Therefore, I have finished when I have finished this, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And so we're going to stop there for just a moment as we begin to understand God's will, because a lot is laid out in Paul's plans. Paul's desire. And first is the Lord's prevention. The Lord prevented Paul from going to Rome. In fact, we read this in verses 22 and 23. It says, For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you. Paul desired to go to Rome, not just once, but many times. And every time Paul desired to go to Rome, the Lord said, Not now. Just wait. How many times have you received that answer from the Lord? Now, uh, this is going to uh, address a carnal side a little bit. How many times have you been angry at the Lord for saying not now? And you try to force it anyway. You see, uh, Paul is saying, uh, I've been prevented, but praise God I've been prevented because I've done my work here. I've finished my task here. I've been, I've been caused to commit to this uh, passion of the Lord right now. And so the Lord's prevention is one thing that has kept Paul in... Uh, Macedonia in fulfilling the the task, the goal that he was intended to fulfill. And Paul reminds those in Rome that he is prevented from coming to them. And this is according to verses 20 and 21. Remember, this is where we ended last week. Notice what it says, 20 and 21. It says this, And thus I inspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have had not, or who have not heard shall understand. You see why Paul couldn't go to Rome? Paul says, I couldn't go to Rome. The Lord prevented me from going to Rome, because if I went to Rome, I'd be building on another man's foundation. What does he mean by that? Well, by the time we're done this morning, in chapter 16, we're going to see what Paul meant by that. There's a lot of people mentioned in chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. And all of those people were faithful in the service of the Lord, growing the church. If Paul went to Rome, he was going to short-circuit the work that they were doing. And so Paul says, I've been prevented because I've got my mission over here in Macedonia. I've got to finish this work up. And when I'm finished here, then perhaps I will be permitted to go. So Paul says, I understand why the Lord said no. I understand why the Lord has, has kept me from going. Paul clearly understands the ministry that has been given him from the Lord. The question, this is our first question in understanding what is the will of God. How do you suppose Paul knew that? 
There is no indication in all of Scripture that God specifically told him that. There is no indication in Scripture that Paul's mission was stated in verses 20 and 21. Now, other than 20 and 21, where Paul says, this is my mission. So how did Paul know this? The Scriptures do not say, except that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from Asia. Paul was intending to go to Asia. He receives the Macedonian vision. He's prevented from going into Asia. It would appear that Paul, in faithful ministry, was continually seeking the direction and then the fulfillment of the direction he was given. This is one of those non-microwave things. This is one of those things that at every step in your life, you are in such communion with the Lord that you are willing to say, uh-uh, not the direction I'm going. I'm going there, but all of a sudden, Lord, shut that door. I'm willing to allow that door to be shut. You see, part of what Paul's understanding is is a humble submission to the will of God. Instead of trying to uh, knock that door down, instead of trying to ram through the door, Paul says, you know what? door to Asia was closed. I don't know why. I think we've got a clue as to why later, and I'll point that out. But uh, here, the door's closed. I'm not going to go to Asia. Paul fulfills his ministry in Macedonia. In fact, look at verse 23. It says, But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had uh, for many years a longing to come to you, Paul reveals that the next phase of ministry was about to, to be reality. One of those things that we often do is we, we settle on the here and now. How did Paul understand the will of God? Because Paul was praying about, okay, now where am I going to go, Lord? I finished up the work here. And no doubt when he was in Ephesus, he was praying, where am I going? When he was in Antioch, he's praying, where am I going? What am I going to do? How long should I stay here? This is a, a constant thing for Paul. This is a constant thing for every single believer. Be in prayer about the will of God in your life. And make plans. I had a professor one time tell me in college, he says, it's much easier to move a rolling stone than a stationary stone. What he meant by that is, once a stone is moving, God can direct you. But if you're stationary, if you will not move, by your own will, God says, fine. You're going to suffer the consequences of that. But if you're moving, God says, I can move that. I will move that. And Paul says, I'm coming to Rome. But Paul has no idea how he's going to get there. He has an idea, but it's not God's idea. We're going to see that before we're done this morning as well. So Paul reveals the next phase of ministry. There was nowhere else for him to go in, in the entire region. All of Macedonia was covered. So since he longed to go to Rome, that's where he was going. He says, I don't know where you're going to send me, Lord, but I'm going to Rome uh, for right now because you haven't told me anything else. So Paul begins by making plans. Notice what he says, verses 24 and 25. It says, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. While the ministry of the three missionary journeys was coming to a close, Paul isn't saying, I'm going I'm to camp out when I get to Jerusalem. I'm going to go back up to Antioch. And I'm going to spend some time there. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, rather, uh, when, I get, when I finish my job, when I finish doing what I'm doing for Achaia and Macedonia, when I get down to Jerusalem, I'm boarding a boat, and I'm headed over to Rome. 
Because I haven't been there yet. I want to be there. He's not, Paul isn't looking for retirement. He's not trying to find a way out. He's not trying to figure out a way to live the rest of his years in peace after 30 years in ministry. He understands from the Macedonian vision in Acts 16 that Asia was out of the question, but Europe beckoned. And so instead of Asia, which he desired to, he says, God's already closed that door. Uh, He's prevented me from going there. He's prevented me from going to Rome, but he's never closed that door. And so now I'm going to Europe. But I'm not stopping at Rome. Was Paul going to stop and enjoy time in Rome? For a little while. I'm going to enjoy you for a little bit. And then I'm going on to Spain. Paul never made it to Spain. And we're going to see why in just a moment. Rome would provide an opportunity to be a refreshment for Paul by the saints there. Before Rome, verse 25 reveals that Paul had one remaining task. To take the Macedonian collection to Jerusalem. And notice what he says there in verse 25. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Paul was a a carrier for the Macedonian collection. And when we read through 1 Corinthians, we recognize Paul's call to the Corinthian church to participate in this Macedonian collection, saying the Macedonian church has already done it. They fulfilled theirs. Now it's time for you to fulfill your part. And so Paul calls them uh, to be found faithful in giving to the, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So the Gentiles ministering to the Jews, and Paul was the bearer of those gifts. And now a point of application, again, needs to be made in this regard. How did Paul understand the will of God? Well, he spent a lot of time in prayer with, with the Lord, understanding that. Making plans, directing forward. How many times have you said, God, you show me the way, I'll go. <laughs> Uh uh-uh. uh. You start moving and he'll show you the way. That's the way it ought to work. He he asks faith. And we can give him nothing less. You see, so those are two aspects. How do I understand the will of God? The third aspect is found here. Paul is not allowing for idle time. He's not allowing for much time to be down. He's saying, I'm going to rest with you for a little bit, but I'm on to Spain. I'm going to Spain. And I don't know about you, but. Uh, If I take a day off, if I rest for a day, I get a headache by the end of the day. I really hurt by the end of the day if I just sit in a recliner all day. Because i got to go do something. That's kind of the idea of Paul. He's like, I'm going to rest for a little bit, but I'm going to get tired of that real quick, and I'm going to go work. I'm going to go on to Spain. I'm going to board a boat. I'm going to work. I'm getting my way to Spain. And so Paul is is taking little time for idleness. And he was purpose-driven, and he was thorough. He leaves no aspect of the work given to him half done. He finishes the task and he moves to the next. He didn't send the collection that he'd been calling for. He didn't send it with Timothy down to Jerusalem. And he could have. In fact, he knew that danger lurked in Jerusalem. And he sent no one but himself. So the third aspect of understanding God's will is not allowing for idle time and not leaving the work half done. Get in there, get it done, get out. Do the will of God, stay faithful. He finishes the task and he moves on to the next. He's always looking ahead, he's always preparing for the next step. Even if that means that the Lord will change his course as the Lord has done many times in Paul's life. This is, this is normal for Paul. He's like, I'm going this way, uh, whether I get there or not, I don't know, God's going to move me somewhere other direction. He understood the will of God. And he finishes the task finishes the task. Verses 26 through 28 says this, 
For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in the material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will, I will go on by way of you to Spain. So Paul spells out the, the task of the collection. And this is, we've already alluded to it this morning. Those in, in Macedonia and Achaia are indebted to the believers in Jerusalem. You know why? Because it was where the church started. Because the gospel started in Jerusalem and was scattered. And it cost tremendous amounts of the Jews in Jerusalem. And because of their physical sufferings, the Gentiles wanted to meet those needs. They were indebted to them. The motivation is the precious understanding of God's work through the Jews that we are recipients, and that includes you and I, we are recipients of the blessing promised to Abraham. Now, there were many blessings promised to Abraham, but you and I are recipients of one of them, that all nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. God brought that to fruition through Jerusalem, through the saints who are now suffering. And the Gentiles who had come to know Christ as Savior, who had heard the gospel because of the testimony and the witness of the Jews in Jerusalem, said, you know what, let's meet their physical needs. They gave us, uh, they were the instruments God used for the spiritual blessings, let's meet their physical needs. And isn't that the way of God's Word? We see this time and time again. Those who minister to us faithfully in God's Word should be ministered to by everyone else through financial, through physical needs. That's the way of God's word. That's the way of God's order and direction. And so we recognize that this is taking place. Paul has called them to. Macedonia has jumped on board. They have fulfilled their commitment. Achaia has fulfilled their commitment. And now Paul is taking that to Jerusalem. In verse 28, Paul reveals that he will see this endeavor through. The task which was spoken about in 1st and 2nd Corinthians is about to be completed by Paul in his arrival in Jerusalem. Paul's task is not as simple as loading up a car with a few bags of luggage, a few things that he's collected, and hopping on the interstate and driving to Jerusalem. In his prayer request, we're going to see the danger that awaits Paul's arrival. Notice what he asks them. Verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And it continues, verse 31, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Paul knew what was going to take place. He knew that there was going to be problems in Rome or in Jerusalem. He didn't know what exactly, but he knew there were going to be issues. And we're going to see why he knew that in just a minute. But the thrust of Paul's request is an understanding of the power of prayer. Paul utilizes and realizes the task ahead is tremendous. And so he utilizes God's power through prayer. And he says, I want you all, Roman believers, to pray for me as I go to Jerusalem. We see an amazing testimony of faith. In fact, keep your hands here for just a moment. Go back to the book of Acts, because we're going to see something amazing. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. 
Because we see an amazing testimony of faith. Acts 20, 22 and 23. says, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem. This is Paul. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul is, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's in Ephesus. He's, he's given a, a last message to the Ephesian elders. And as he's in Ephesus, he's going, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm taking this collection for the saints uh, there. And on my way, every city I have stopped in, in my direction towards Jerusalem, the Spirit has told me that problems await in Jerusalem. But I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm finishing the task of the will of God. My question is, does the will of God always involve peace and harmony? No. If you think you're out of the will of God because you are suffering, you are sorely wrong. You may be suffering because you are in the will of God. So just because sufferings and afflictions come do not mean that you are out of the will of God. Paul says, I know that problems are coming. In fact, the Spirit, every time, I, every time I bow my head and pray for direction, the Spirit's telling me, I got problems coming ahead. And I know they're coming ahead. In fact, the worst persecution Paul will ever feel in his entire life is yet ahead in Acts chapter 20. Of all the persecution he's had, it's yet coming. And he's headed right for it. Getting back to the previous question, how do you suppose that Paul knew the will of God? Obviously, time with the Lord in prayer. Obviously, diligence. But another question must be asked. Does hardship and trouble mean you're out of the will of God? No. So Paul has a prayer request. Verse 31. He says this, That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem will prove acceptable to the saints. While it was not clear by whose hands the afflictions uh, would ultimately come, he recognizes that the Judaizers are going to be a part of it. And so Paul guesses that. But his prayer request was twofold. Pray for the rescue from the Judaizers, and pray for acceptance for the service offered to the saints in Jerusalem. Paul asked prayer for those who are receiving this tremendous gift from Macedonia and Achaia. That's an amazing statement when you kind of just dwell on it for just a moment. I don't know what Paul's specific heart's desire was, but Paul wanted to be found acceptable to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's not buying them off. That's not what we should dwell on. What we should recognize is Paul recognizes the problems that come with a gift like the Macedonians had given. And so he prays for the believers in Jerusalem. And all of this is done in the humility to the will of God. Notice verses 32 and 33. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul's statement in verse 31 reveals that he does not know the outcome of this visit. He's praying that the Judaizers, uh, while they are going to afflict him, would be a non-issue. That Paul would continue on to Rome, that he would be released from whatever subjection they have for him, and that he would continue along the way. But he 
recognizes that he is intending to join the reader in Rome soon after. He says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm soon going to join you in Rome. An important key to these events in Paul's life is seen in verse 32. Paul's entire trip was in humility to the will of God. Every step of the way. Whatever the outcome was or might be, he was submissive to what the will of the Lord would be. There are two qualities in Paul's testimony that exemplify this to us. First, he was committed completely to finishing what he started, leaving no stone unturned. Now recognize his job was not to go to every city, not to talk to every believer, not to share the gospel in every house. Paul's job was to go to the cities, the main cities, share the gospel for six months or less in most of them, and then move on. Paul's time spent in Ephesus, two years, is unheard of. That was unique in Paul's ministry. He spends a little time in Corinth and a little time in Ephesus, and those are very long periods of time for Paul. He is moving from one place to the next. Your job, according to the will of God, is not to do everything. Your job is to do your job, not somebody else's job. My job is to do my job. I can't do your job, but if you're not doing your job, that's going to hurt the body of Christ. So we must understand that relationship, and Paul does. He understands what is the will of God. He lives in it. He does not seek approval from men, per se. He seeks approval from God. He says, whatever your will is, that's what I'm going to do. If men agree with that, praise God. If they don't, praise God. I'm going to do it anyway. What, a, what an incredible testimony of Paul's heart. The second, he was at the same time submissive to the will of God. And we've alluded to it quite a bit. But these two can conflict the heart of the believer. A firm commitment to doing your job and a humble submission to the will of God. You know what? You may be doing your job and tomorrow your job just got changed. God has that prerogative in your life. And if you insist to continue to do your job because that's your job and no one else is going to do your job and you're going to fulfill your job and God says no, you've got some, some conflict. You're living outside the will of God. So Paul understood. He was committed to completely finishing what he started, leaving no stone unturned, but at the same time was submissive to the will of God. And while these two can conflict in the heart of the believer, in prayer and in obedience, we do not see that conflict in Paul. Paul says, I'm going to Rome. And God is about to say, no, not the way you think you're going to Rome. Paul says, I'm going to Spain. And God said, no, you're not. You're never going to make it to Spain, Paul. Paul says, I wanted to go to Asia. And God said, no, stay in Macedonia and do this call. Paul says, fine, here I go. And he's no stone unturned, he's doing it. And God says, you finished your task here? Paul says, I want to go to Rome, or I want to go to Spain. And God says, no, you got a task in Rome, but not the way you think you have a task in Rome. Instead of conflict in Paul's life, we see the balance of joy in service. And that's really what we're at after. That is the heart of this issue. We understand the will of God. You can read the Word of God. You can meditate on the Word of God. You can spend time in prayer. You can understand the Word of God. It is not a microwave solution. But you can understand it. And in understanding the will of God, now you must have submission to the will of God. Because it might change the course of your life. 
It might change the direction you're headed, as it does in Paul. And instead of being a burden, instead of being a conflict, Paul uses it as joy. He says, I don't know what God's going to do. I'm having fun on this ride. Whatever God does, I am satisfied with. So the question is, did God answer Paul's prayer request? Twofold. Acceptable to the saints, released from the Judaizers. Well, in order to answer this, we have to go back to Acts. Acts chapter 21. Keep your finger here. We're going to finish up 16 or move into 16 here in just a moment. But Acts chapter uh, 21, verse 17. 21-17. Paul makes it to Jerusalem. And verse 17 says, After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Did God answer Paul's prayer request? Absolutely. What about the other one? Well, look down at verses 30 and 31. Acts 21, 30 and 31. It says, Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up from the commander of the Roman cohort to all Jerusalem, uh, rather, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Did God answer his other prayer request? Yes, he did. Because Paul was released from the Judaizers. Who took him? The Romans. And while the Judaizers pursue him, they never get him back. Now, they are definitely part of the reason Paul was martyred. But they never get Paul back. Was that the way that Paul expected that to be answered? You know what one of my most frustrating experiences as a Christian is? It's not the not now. It's the yes, but not in the way you thought answer. God answers Paul's prayer request. But Paul didn't realize that at the hands of the Romans, he was going to suffer terribly. In fact, Paul goes from here, and we can read the record of events as the book of Acts unfolds from here all the way to the end. In fact, what an enjoyable opportunity for you to spend time in the Word of God reading what happened to Paul. From here to the end of the book, the rest of the chapters of Acts just deal with what happens to Paul. And so Paul is drug away from them, and he's hauled off to Felix, and he's hauled off to Festus, and he's hauled off to Agrippa, and ultimately he's hauled off all the way to Rome. And do you know what Agrippa said? King Agrippa said to Paul, if you continue, you might just convert me. What an amazing statement. Paul said, I'm going to Rome. God said, you got to talk to Agrippa first. You've got to talk to Festus. You've got to talk to Felix. You've got to talk to this Roman commander first. And in a sense, when you're reading through the, the narrative in Acts, Paul uh, shoots himself in the foot because he requests that he go to Rome. Paul requests that he stand trial. Agrippa was going to let him go and release him. But where would Paul have wound up? Likely back in the hands of the Judaizers. Instead, God came to him along the way as Paul was fulfilling the mission and the will of God. The Lord came to him and said, Paul, go to Rome. Paul said, you got it. 
I want a trial. Send me to Rome. They'll release me, but I want to go to Rome. I want to make this a deal. And so Paul does. The will of God is something that is very uh, important to the life of the believer. We're going to get into this more in the weeks to come. But when you are outside the will of God, when you are usurping God's will for your own, in other words, you're putting God's will underneath your will, that is sin in every way. It doesn't matter if it's in the law or not. You understand when you're putting your will over God's will, that is sin. And so in recognizing this, we recognize that as believers we want to stay in the will of God. Paul does so. His testimony is incredible. Now back in the book of Romans, we have three groups of people that Paul greets. If you want to read what happens to Paul, it's an amazing narrative. Go back to Acts chapters 21 through the end of the book. Read what happens to Paul. Romans 16. Paul says this, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. So breaking with the form, we're not going to consider each and every name. But we want to consider the ones that Paul makes special mention of. And these are the ones that he highlights. And we want to understand better what Paul meant when he said that he would not build on another man's foundation. So to that end, we want to understand how we minister to each other in light of these four servants. First is Phoebe. Phoebe was not in the Roman church. She was not a Roman. But she was rather, most likely, the one carrying the letter of Romans to the Romans. She was the one that Paul tasked to send to Rome with this letter that he penned. And Paul commends her to the church, identifying her first as sister, meaning female member of the body of Christ. He's a sister in Christ. And he calls her a servant. The word he uses for servant is dekanos. The same word for deacon. She was a faithful servant in the church. He calls her a helper to many as well as to Paul. This woman had a significant ministry in Paul's life and to many other Christians as well. We know little else of Phoebe except that she was found faithful to the ministry that the Lord had given to her. Her ministry was not to go to Macedonia and to Achaia and to gather up the money and go to Jerusalem. Her ministry was not to be hauled off by Agrippa, by Felix and Festus to Rome. That was Paul's ministry. Her ministry was to be a helper to the saints, to be a servant to those who love the Lord. And Phoebe fulfilled that. The next one, verses 3 through 5. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. An amazing statement. Who are Prisca and Aquila? Well, Prisca has been shortened from Priscilla and Aquila. And we learn a lot about them in Acts chapter 18. 
they spent considerable time with Paul in Ephesus when he first came there. In fact, they were tent makers along with Paul. But remember how we noticed Paul last week not calling himself a tent maker? Notice how he defines them. Notice what he says here in verse uh, 3. Greek Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say my fellow tent makers. He says my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Tent making is what they did to survive. What they did to live was to work for Christ. That's what Paul says. He stayed with them as they were in the same trade. And Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, but they were fellow servants, fellow laborers in Christ for Paul, with Paul. And here he calls them uh, faithful servants. This dear couple is significant, not just in Paul's ministry, but in the ministry of Apollos. In fact, in Ephesians, or rather in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 18, Priscilla and Aquila pull Apollos aside. Apollos having been a disciple of John the Baptist. And he's preaching great things. He's an eloquent man. And he's preaching great things. And Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and say, let me tell you the rest of the story. And they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with, with Apollos. And then Apollos went on to have an extremely significant ministry. We don't know to what extent, but it is likely that he was, according to the Thursday night Bible study we just had, at least one of the four, if not in the top one or two writers of the book of Hebrews. And not only that, but Paul recognizes and addresses his ministry in 1 Corinthians. When he says, I, Paul, have planted and Apollos has watered. Paul affirms his ministry. Apollos had an incredible ministry. And do you know why? Because of a dear couple. Priscilla and Aquila. This dear couple pulled Apollos aside and shared the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but they discipled him. They taught him what it was to be a follower of Christ. Now, let me ask you this. Were Priscilla and Aquila called to preach the gospel and possibly write the book of Hebrews? They weren't. They discipled the man who was. Can you disciple somebody? Can you build somebody up greater than yourself using different gifts than you have in their ministry? Absolutely. You see, your ministry, what is the will of God for you is to disciple one another. To build up one another. Priscilla and Aquila couldn't teach Apollos how to preach. He already had that. He needed the gospel. They gave him the gospel. And he became an eloquent preacher for the word of God. What about this last one? This last one. We'll we'll end with Epinatius. Epinatius, verse 5. This This is the end of Priscilla and Aquila. Also greet the house or the church that is in their house, greet Epinatius, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. What an amazing statement. The first convert to Christ from the place Paul could not go. God had prevented Paul from going to Asia, and I believe that it is because of Epinatius. Because Epinatius was going to take the gospel back to Asia. We don't know that for certain. Uh, that, is, that is not supported uh, because he disappears. Epinatius disappears from the pages of history. 
But it is significant that when Lydia is called the first convert from Europe, that the gospel goes to Europe. And I think Epinatius does the same thing. Not much is known of Epinatius except what Paul gives and what is revealed is significant. Epinatius was the first convert to Christ from Asia. And this had to be sweet for Paul. There's no indication that Paul led him to the Lord. We don't even know that. Now he says he's my beloved in Christ, but he doesn't say he's my beloved son in Christ. We don't know Paul's involvement with Epinatius. But we do know that Paul was forbidden to go to Asia, and this man was from Asia. And Paul took particular interest in this man. So even when he could not go to them, the Lord brought them to Paul in some way or another. As we read through the rest of these names, we recognize Mary, we recognize uh, who has worked hard, we recognize Andronicus, we recognize others who are along in this way, and we recognize that God used all of them in some way to minister to Paul. We don't know what, these all, all of them have disappeared from the pages of Scripture. And they've all disappeared from the pages of history. But in Paul's ministry, they were significant. You do not have Paul's ministry. But does that mean that you have an insignificant ministry? Absolutely not. It is not the will of God for you to take my ministry. And it is not the will of God for me to take your ministry. It is the will of God that you be found faithful in your ministry. Is that microwave solutions? <laughs> no. Can't plug it in. Beep, 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 beep. And hope in two minutes that you're changed. Doesn't happen. Paul wasn't that way. But he just gave you a list of common, ordinary people who were that way. All of these people had jobs. All of these people had industry. And yet all of these people... Paul mentions nothing about that. He says, greet them, greet them, greet them. They've been faithful to the Lord, they've been faithful to me. Praise God for the faithful, common servant. Because that is what allows the Paul to do his ministry. Let's close in word of prayer. Father, as we bow our heads before you today, we praise you for Paul's testimony and example of what the will of God is. Where we recognize that it's difficult to understand what it is on a practical level uh, that we, we want to know in this specific situation what your will is. But I pray that we would recognize that that takes a communion, a relationship that is not just caused by a 30-second prayer at mealtime, but is something that is driven in us. Something that at every turn we do not ask opinions from everybody else unless and until we have asked our opinion from you your opinion to us. Lord, I pray that we would understand what your will is in our life. I pray that you'd make that real for us. I pray that you'd help us to understand as a church what our will is and that we would each be found faithful and obedient in it. We praise you for the testimony, the witness, and the ministry of Paul. And as we bring this book to a close very soon, I pray that you would give us an understanding of each and every aspect of this book that we would be changed by it, changed by the theology that is found here, changed by the practical nature in which we live it out, that your name would be glorified in us and exalted in our words uh, throughout the week. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.